understand. One announcement um, at this point. You may have seen this about a month ago, um, and I think this paper will probably only be out for one more week. Those brown couches behind the brown couch on that hallway table, there is a paper. And if there's a hymn that is your favorite that you would really like for us to sing, please put that down. And if you're able to as well, find it in the hymnal. Um, you would be surprised how many different versions there are of a lot of our favorite songs. Um, even the song that we just sang it is actually very hard to find the notes to the way that we sing it. So um, if you can fill in um, one of your favorite hymns, and then we would like to sing that throughout the year and also on the nights that there's choral. So thank you. We're going to do a call to worship. Um, I will lead, and Adrian will be reading with you as you read together. Sing together. Celebrate God. Our God protects us, his people. God forgives us and covers our sins. God surrounds us with songs of deliverance. Therefore, let all God's people pray with thanksgiving and worship God. And we'll just carry into the confession. Lord, our desire for control has separated us from you. In our stubborn independence, we have turned from your love. 
We hide our failure and guilt, and yet we feel their weight both day and night. Here and now, we acknowledge our sins before you and reveal our transgressions. We confess to the Lord. I invite you to just silently pray. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven. Our slate is wiped clean. We are free to follow Jesus in obedience and experience love in every test. Amen. Savior, I come, quiet my soul. Oh
I invite you to stand for our last song. We'll be singing the river, but we'll be also singing near my God to thee, just the first verse, and then carry on. standing, I invite you to put your hands out and we'll pray for the offering. God, we, we give you ourselves. We give you the things that you have given us. Um, our time, our gifts, the money you've given us, we give it all back to you. Um, use it to your honor and your glory. Amen. I'll invite the worship team to go and sit down. And I will invite 
you to turn to your Bibles, um, Matthew 4. Matthew 4, 1 to 11. Jesus is tempted in the desert. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert, and there the devil tempted him. After 40 days and 40 nights of going without eating, Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him, and he said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man must not live only on bread. He must live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city. He had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourselves down. It is written, the Lord will command his angels to take good care of you. They will lift, lift you up in their hands, and then you won't trip over a stone. Jesus answered them, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. Finally, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. If you bow down and worship me, he said, I will give you all of this. Jesus said to him, Get away from me, Satan. It is written, Worship the Lord your God. He is the only one you should serve. And then the devil left Jesus, and angels came and took care of him. The word of the Lord. And I'll tell you a little story up here. And we're going to teach, actually going to teach the congregation something too. Yeah, there's room in the front row here. And in that front row. Good. And you can see everybody. So this year, during the time of Lent, we are exploring something as a congregation. Actually, two things. The first one, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Because people are made in the image of God. And the second thing is, what does it mean for our life to be shaped by Jesus and by the words of Jesus. So during our children's times, we are going to read Bible stories that are about those two things. And we're also going to learn a prayer, a prayer of praise, and that's what we're going to teach the rest of the congregation too. So we just had a scripture reading Charlene read for us from Matthew chapter 4, and there Jesus is faced with three choices and we could say that the first choice was do whatever would make him feel good and the second choice was do something silly to make God help you and the third one was let someone else tell him to disobey God well, these are all not that great ideas eh? but each time he had to make a choice and he made his choice based on the teaching of the Bible. He chose to follow the words of God. You guys know what robots are, right? Yeah, okay. Remy doesn't know yet, but she'll learn. So in this Bible story, we're reminded that Jesus had to make choices. He was not a robot. He had to think about his decisions and choose his response. 
And in the story, the tempter was trying to get Jesus to do things that would not be pleasing to God. Now, we are made in God's image, and that means that we're not robots. Like Jesus, we can make choices. Jesus used the teachings of Scripture to guide his decisions. So I'm going to show you a few pictures here. And these, are, these are robots that you might actually know the names of. You guys, you can take that and pass it along. Pass it to your brothers and then pass it across the aisle. You know those, you know those robots? That's okay. There's a robot I actually met in a restaurant. It delivered my food to me. Kind of crazy, eh? And this one, apparently, you could get for Christmas. It's a toy robot. <laughs> but robots aren't like us on the inside. They're just, like, full of wires and stuff. So we're different from robots. God did not program us, because you know that robots, they can do pretty interesting things, but they can only do the things that somebody typed into them to do, right? They don't come up with new things to do. Even those chatbots, they're just putting together all the things that were put into them. So God put within us abilities. He gave us the ability to choose and the power to decide. And in our story, Jesus gives us an example of how to make good choices. Okay, so now we're going to learn this prayer, and we're going to teach it to the congregation too. But we're going to need our hands, so that's why I'm going to get Henry to turn off this mic so I don't make a big bang. All right, we're good to go. So, it's a prayer. It's a prayer that has three, four, five, six lines, which sounds like a lot, but the actions are going to help us. So, the first line is, thank you, God, for creating us. And when we put up our hands like this, it's kind of a way of saying, oh, thank you, that was great. So, everybody in the congregation can do this too. Repeat after me. Thank you, God, for creating us. Thank you, God, for creating us. The next one is, we can choose. And this is kind of like weighing one thing or the other. Which thing is worth doing? Okay? So repeat after me. We can choose. We can choose. We can connect. And this, this is kind of like, hey, we can hold hands. We can be together. Okay? You could actually hold hands or just pretend. So repeat after me. We can connect. We can connect. Right on. We can create. And now we can pretend that maybe we're making something out of clay, kind of like this display behind me, or Play-Doh. Repeat after me. We can create. Jesus continues to work in us and through it work in us and through us. So this is kind of like God is doing something in our hearts all the time. So repeat after me. Jesus continues to work in us and through us. Jesus 
It's incredible. Thank you, God. So repeat after me. It's incredible. Thank you, God. Good. Now we're going to do the whole thing, and I'm not even going to look at my words. That's how well we've learned it already, right? No. <laughs> but I'm still not going to look. Thank you, God, for creating us. We can choose. We can connect. We can create. Jesus continues to work in us and through us. It's incredible. Thank you, God. Good job, guys. You can go sit down. All right. Good morning. Press myself a little bit with that booming morning. Please bow with me now in a word of prayer. Dear God, we want to say thank you for each of the children of our congregation. God, we pray a blessing on them as they go to Children's Church now. We pray that they will learn new things, that they will come before you in new ways. We pray be with the teachers as well. Bless the whole time. God, we put this before you and we pray a blessing on our service this morning as well. In your name we pray, amen. All right, you're dismissed. If you have your bulletins on you, there are a number of things that we need to point out. And the first is that tonight at 7 p.m., loud music at the church. That, you know what you're getting, and it's going to be a good time. I am looking forward to it. I'm going to bring Noel out. It's going to be a great thing. Loud music at the church, 7 p.m. Invite your friends. That is going to be a thing that everybody wants to come to. And, like... I feel like a rock star right now. Like, just look at this. They, I was actually very impressed by the organ there, and that's what has got me the most excited. So, I'm excited. All right, 7 p.m., loud music, church. Uh, Wednesday, 2 p.m., prayer meeting at the church, 6.30 p.m. Kids Connect. I believe this is the last Kids Connect. This is Kids Connect graduation, is it not? No? Then never mind, but it's coming up soon. But we want to pray for the Kids Connect and make sure that that is a good time. Uh, 9.45 a.m., Sunday school next Sunday, 10.45 a.m., worship service. You are going to have a guest speaker coming from Teen Challenge in Brandon. And so that is going to be a good thing. If you don't know all of the things that Teen Challenge does, then prepare to be amazed. They are a wonderful ministry to the area of Brandon and everywhere around as well. And I'm happy that they'll be able to come out and share with us. So Teen Challenge next Sunday will be sharing. All right, skipping down. It is yearbook time. I'd, if you have a report that you need to get in, like I do, then make sure to get that report to Carrie Sawatsky by March 18th. Also, there are phone and address pages uh, in the back uh, behind the couch. There is that table there. There is a uh, sign-up, a list of all of the addresses that we have now. If anything has changed or if you aren't in there yet and you want to be, then go and write down on there. Also, in the back there, there is the write-down for the hymns. That is going to be there. Uh, if you have a particular hymn that you want sung on a Sunday morning or on a later time when we have a hymn sing for one of our evening worship, sorry, one of our evening music uh, services, then write it down on there, and uh, that is how you get your favorite hymn on that list. 
I'd encourage you to do that because there's something about hymns, isn't there? There's something about them that just kind of gets to the soul of who you are. So make sure to write them down there. All right, then one last thing, baptism and membership. If you are interested in baptism or are you interested in becoming a member, come talk to me. Uh, I would love to have that conversation. All right, any other announcements? All right, then moving on to items for prayer. The first, Jeff's surgery is now done. He's at home recovering. I believe he's even planning on playing tonight, so... He is recovering well, and we want to thank the Lord for that. Uh, Margaret Schultz is still in the hospital in Portage. Uh, I went to go see her the other day, and she wishes she was not there. And so we want to make sure to keep her in our prayers. Also, if you have a couple minutes and you're in Portage, then as long as there's no one else in there, I believe that you can go and visit uh, freely. So if you're in Portage and you want to say hi to Margaret, uh, room 125 in the basement, but you need to check in at the front desk. We want to also pray that God brings us deeper uh, into truths of love himself over the time of Lent. So, please bow with me now in a time of prayer. Dear God, we come before you this morning first off in praise. First off in praise of the good news of Jeff's surgery going as well as it did, as well as that his healing is going as well as it is. God, we pray that you continue to heal him that you continue to work with the doctors for follow-up care, and you continue to give him the strength that he needs during this time. But we thank you that his surgery went well. And we want to also bring before you, while we are talking about health-related things, we want to bring before you Margaret Schultz. Lord, we pray that they will figure out what it is that caused her to need to go to the hospital as soon as possible. It is very discouraging to have all of these tests and not know what it is. And so, God, we pray, help those tests come back. Show what it is that needs to be shown. And Lord, we pray, give her the comfort that she needs during this time. But we put her before you this morning. God, we want to pray for Danny next. Lord, as he is... Going through this time of figuring out what comes next over the next year, Lord, we want to pray, be the guide that he needs. Be with both him and his brother as they work together to figure it out. We thank you so much for Danny. We thank you for the friend that he is. We thank you for the conversation that he brings. We thank you for the presence that he brings to any room that he's in. And so, Lord, we pray, be with him now. And God, as we are in this time going into Lent, Lord, we pray that we spend time seeing how you are shaping us. We spend time seeing the way that you are leading us. And God, you work through us to put us into the state of mind and the state of being that we need to be in in order to walk with you to the cross and beyond. Lord, this we put before you also. And finally, we want to pray for tonight. We want to pray that the music night is a great time for all. We want to pray for the performers. We want to pray for those in attendance, God. We pray that we see you through it, and it will be wonderful. We are excited. 
Lord, all of these things we put before you, we place them at your feet. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. As you'll see written on your bulletins in the front, for the time of Lent, we're going to be drawing something a bit different, and that is that we are going to be having a testimony uh, alongside every sermon that is seeking to answer the questions that we're looking at that Sunday. And today, the testimony will be coming from Astrid, and so I'd like to invite her up. Well, I have a couple questions that I want to ask you, and I'm excited to hear your answers because I, I haven't heard them, and so I'm very curious. The first is this. Life is full of challenging experiences and testing. Can you tell us about an experience of testing in your life, and how did you handle it? Well, first of all, I'm just going to say something. I'm feel quite comfortable coming up, not because I love sharing all sorts of things, but because I have really come to love and appreciate this congregation. And I feel okay to share this. So, um, our pastor Russell has asked three questions. And I had to write them down because I don't want to continue on and on. <laughs> so the first question, tell us about an experience in my life and how did I handle it? Yes, life is full of many challenges, but also much joy, kind of intertwined. I'm sure there isn't anyone here that hasn't experienced gut-wrenching, difficult experiences. For me, for us, our son's tragic death, family crisis, health issues, a lot of flooding where we live, many losses of family and friends, etc. But through all of these experiences in my life, I did not feel I was really being tested by my Heavenly Father. And maybe it was. But instead, I was overwhelmed by his love and caring that came through a number of ways, mostly with others through prayers and helping us as the need arose. The latest challenging experience happened this past December 14th, just prior to our wonderful trip to BC that we had planned. Tony was feeling quite sick. Wasn't COVID at that time, but he had a bad cold. He had a fever and went to bed early. 1.30 in the morning, he woke to not being able to use his legs and arms. He had no muscle control at all and literally was sliding off the bed. I was so thankful our children were next door. And uh, with them coming over and the ambulance attendants, we phoned the ambulance right away. 
and they came and did what they had to do and uh, we were told to wait a few hours before going to the hospital in Portage because he was going to be looked after there. It was a long night. How did I handle that? Probably not very well. It was just another challenge that Tony had to face, and he's had many. But God was there and gave me peace through comforting music. I put the music on at 2, 3 in the morning, and a lot of quietness where I could really feel God's incredible love, be still and know that I am God. Yes, I was anxious. I was scared, absolutely. As Mark and I drove to the hospital, we were talking about the things, what if? What are we going to do? And then we both said at the same time, let's wait until we talk to the doctor. When the door, when we got, arrived, when the door to the emergency opened, instead of the doctor, out walked Tony. Mark and I were just shocked. Tony was saying, I wish I had a camera to take that expression. <laughs> what happened? My first initial thing when I saw him, I said, what are you doing? <laughs> From being totally no muscle control to walking. The staff just replied, call it a Christmas miracle. Indeed. I'll stop there because the second <laughs> question. <laughs> what positive effect did this testing have on your life? positive effect it had is incredible thankfulness, but being very much aware of how quickly life can change. Both Tony and I are very much aware of what's happening to us as a family, to our extended family, to friends. As I enter my eighth decade, my eighth decade, <laughs> new challenges. There are losses of what I can't do and what Tony can't do. But I don't want to be there. I want to say what I can do. It's a bit of a challenge of saying yes to new ways of living and accepting it graciously. That's tough. That is a tough thing. But we're all there. We're there. God has been good. I cannot live without my Heavenly Father. Neither can Tony. That's, that's wonderful. How did this test shape the way that you see Jesus? I 
I guess not just this last experience, but my whole life's experience in all things, whether very difficult or full of joy, it, it's, it's very interesting. I'm just going to say this as an aside. It's not written down. But through some of the hardest times, especially when our son died, it was many years ago, but I remember it so clearly. And the sadness that we felt and the awfulness, but there was still, there was still joy. We had our little grandson living with us who was turning just five on the day that we buried our son. And I just thought, he needs a birthday cake. And I baked a birthday cake. And we had a birthday party. Funeral and then a birthday party. How does that go? And I have found that deep, deep faith our Heavenly Father, through the tough things, there's also incredible joy, and we can go on. We can go on. So whether it's very difficult or full of joy in life, the knowledge that Jesus loves me, this I know, or the Bible tells me so. Through it all, he's there. So today we enter into the, the season of Lent, as we prayed before, uh, the season where we look forward to the cross, but also focus on how we have been shaped on our way with Jesus, focus on how we can follow him. But because it's the season of Lent, then that means that we're going to be talking about the temptation of Christ, because that's what you always talk about the first Sunday of Lent. So if you have your Bibles on you, Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11, there's a number of different tellings of, of the temptation, but I like this one. I mean, truth be told, I would say the same thing no matter which of the Bibles. But I like this one particularly. If you have your Bibles open to that passage, why doesn't somebody yell out what the first word in 4 verse 1 is? And I'm not one that likes to dwell on the importance of individual words, but that one's important. Because what that then unfortunately means is that this passage is directly following the one before it. That happened and then this. And what the passage directly before that is, is the baptism of Jesus. The, 
when he goes to John the Baptist and asks to be baptized because it is fulfilling all righteousness. This is how I am going to begin my ministry, is what Jesus does there. And immediately following the beginning of his ministry through baptism, immediately following his declaration to the world that I am following God, the Spirit whisks him off into the wilderness to be tempted. Not to be tempted, to be tested. Uh, and before that testing comes, we read that for 40 days and for 40 nights he fasted. And in Matthew, they focus particular on the hungry because 40 days and 40 nights, that would get all of us rather hungry, I can't help but think. But it's important that we note like what fasting is, right? It's not just, I'm not going to eat for the sake of cutting off that stubborn five pounds or something. Although for 40 days, I suspect much more than five. But it's instead, you're giving up something that's important to you. You're giving up something that is vital to how you go about your day, go about your life in order to focus on God, in order to build that relationship with God, in order to spend time in prayer with God and the Spirit. It's for a purpose. It is to build that, to come closer to the Lord. And it's only after that time of becoming closer to the Lord that then we read the devil comes to tempt. If you are the son of God, change these stones into loaves of bread, is how he begins. And I find that a bit interesting. I think it shows that the devil has a certain amount of the dramatic flair in him. Doesn't like bring bread or something like that with like all of the nice smells that would go with it. Instead, no, here's a stone, turn it into bread. And why? Well, probably because when Moses was in the desert and he was tempted to do something, he was tempted to turn a stone and hit it so water would come out. And it's very similar to this. There's a draw that is being made there between Jesus and Moses. But where Moses gave in to that bodily temptation, here Jesus answers with scripture. People need more than bread for their life. They must feed on every word of God. From Deuteronomy. Then the devil, I think, might be thrown a little bit for a loop on that one. I'm betting that most people that have gone and fasted for 40 days, well, that probably would have been enough for them in order to give in to the temptation. And so the devil, he's like, no, I need to up my game a little bit. So he takes Jesus and then he flies to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. It just says it took him. I imagine there's some flight going on there in the wilderness. There's a big, long distance there. But however it is that they get there, they're at the top of the temple. And he says, if you're the son of God, then jump off for the scriptures. They say this, don't they? They say, he orders his angels to protect you and they will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. That is a sneaky passage right there. Because that is, in fact, scripture that the devil is quoting right there. But he is quoting that very poorly 
That's from the book of Psalms, a book that's filled with poetry. And if you know poetry to any extent, it's absolutely jam-packed with making large, sweeping, hyperbolic statements in order to talk about really nuanced things. Poetry would be very boring if it was just like, ah, and the chair is blue, right? Like it has to talk about how every last grain is this. You get really into depth. That's how poetry works. You say these big, long, sweeping, dramatic things, and through that, that is how you talk about the nuanced existence of what it is to follow God. That is what Psalms are all about. And lo and behold, the devil takes that and instead he applies it as literally as literally can be. You can do this and God will protect you. He quotes scripture in a way that it isn't meant to be read. But boy, oh boy, if you take it that way, would that ever make Jesus' life so much easier? Because think about this for a little bit. This is Jesus Christ who came to live a human life with us. This is God incarnate that is going to live amongst people with all of the mess for the rest of his life before he dies a very unfortunate death. And I can't help but think that if your point is you wanted to show that I'm God, listen to me, maybe jumping off of the temple and having the angels of God themselves whisk you to safety where remember from like Acts 2 that in the temple courtyards, that's where the chief priests are. That's where the high priests are. That's where there are believers of God that are from all the corners of the world are. I can't help but think that if that's the only thing that you're wanting to do, announce I am God, listen to me, that would be a surefire way of doing it. But it would also very much so be the easy way out. It would also very much so be not what we need. Because what we don't need is God from on high declaring this is how it is, but instead God incarnate, Jesus Christ showing us how to live. Because then we can understand. Then we have something we can follow. Then, then we can get somewhere. And so Jesus responds. The scriptures also say, do not test the Lord your God. And he responds again from Deuteronomy and in a way that is actually using the scripture as it is meant to be used. And at this point, I think the devil is getting a little bit, I've never had this much issue with somebody before tempting them first with meeting all of their bodily needs in some way or the other. And then you're testing them with, you know, you can use the Bible to say whatever you want. You can do these grand, amazing things. You can have this easy life. And yet Jesus says no to both of these things. How many of us could say the same thing? And so he's rolling up his sleeves at this point, and he's going to go for broke. And so he takes Jesus to the top of the very highest mountain, and he shows them all the nations of the world and all of their glory. I will give it all to you, he says, if you'll only kneel down and worship me. Here, the devil is being very matter of fact. Here, he is saying what is the actual situation. With the other things, he's kind of just implying it. Just go against 
what it is that God is telling you to do or just go against what Scripture is telling. It's not that big a deal, but here he gets at what is actually that he is driving at, and that is the same thing that would happen if Jesus would have given in to either of these other things. Bow down and worship me, and I will give you everything. That's a tempting thing. Imagine what you could do with everything. But Jesus recoils. Get out of here, Satan. I like the King James, get behind me, Satan. That's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Get behind me, Satan, is what Jesus says. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, from Deuteronomy, used precisely right. Then the devil went away. The angels carried the Lord Jesus. And immediately after this, he goes out to the rest of the world. Immediately after this time of temptation, this time of testing, he goes out to all of Israel and he shows them just who our God is. I like the story of the temptation. I think it shows us a very valuable couple of things. But I have to admit, I'm not the biggest fan of, we pointed it out before, that word then. Not a big fan of that. Not because it's wrong, not because it shouldn't be there. It absolutely should. I'm just not a fan of it. Because think about what that actually means, right? We begin our walk with Jesus. In Scripture, that's always what baptism is. That's the beginning of your walk. It's the beginning of your ministry with the Lord. We all have a ministry. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're a missionary. It doesn't matter if you are an accountant. It doesn't matter if you are a mechanic or a farmer. We all have a ministry. We all have a ministry because when we become Christians and we announce to the whole world we are a Christian, then we're living in that way. People know that's a Christian. And so as you go about your life, ah, that's how Christians are supposed to be living. Regardless of if you're living in the right way or not, that is what's assumed. So we all have a ministry. And as we begin that, immediately the temptations begin. Immediately the Holy Spirit leads us off to be tested. That's why I'm not a fan of the word then. Can you imagine how much easier life would be without that then there? You became a Christian and then it was just easy street from then on in. No. I think we often get hung up on this verse in ways that we're not really supposed to. I think that we often take it and kind of use it to be like, well then clearly all of the times we go through temptations in our life, then it's the Holy Spirit, it's God that is leading us into those 
times. Or it's the devil who is concocting some elaborate way that is absolutely going to make sure that we fall into our temptations. That is where temptations come from. I think there's that want in ourselves to always kind of ascribe all of the hard times in life to either the Holy Spirit or God doing it to us or the devil in very different ways. But for my money, I don't think that's where most temptations in life come from. I think most temptations in life just come from living life, day-to-day things. The same temptations that impact everybody, right? Like saint or sinner, Christian or non-Christian, we all go through life. We all experience these temptations to find ourselves falling further away from God, from breaking relationships with other people more than they already are, from just tearing everything down. We all go through temptations to do these things because that is a part of life. But as Christians... As Christians, then there's something more to it. Immediately think of Romans 2, right? We're listing all of these sins in Romans 1. Then you get to Romans 2, and Paul is like, and you Christians that are judging other people for doing these things, what are you doing? You should know better, right? That's kind of where I think about because we live through the same way as non-Christians, Christians alike, but because we are Christians, because we know the Lord, because we know our God, because he knows what... We know what happens when we give in to those temptations. We know how they lead us further away from God. We know how they drag us further into sin. Everyone goes through temptations in life, but because we know, then we know that they are a testing. They take that on as well. Because we know when we fall to these things, we know that they drag us farther away from God. We know there is a testing there for us in a way that the rest of the world just as unfortunate ignorance of. For my money, that's where most of the temptations in life come in. This isn't saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't concoct elaborate tests. It's not saying the devil doesn't as well. The Holy Spirit, God is free to do as God will do. And the devil is a crafty one. But at the same time, I think as we just go through life In a fallen world, there will be temptations anyway. And because we know what they are, we are being tested by them as a result. And it's, I think, because of that, that I particularly like the story of the temptation of Jesus. Because it has an awful lot to say with just getting through life as normal, standing up to the testing. Has an awful lot to tell us about how Jesus can show us how to do that. Let me tell you the story of the year of my life when I most closely came to losing my faith. 
2009, fiction. It was a completely different time. Many of us will remember 2009, and the rest of us, landlines were something. It was a phone, but it plugged into the wall. It was an answering machine that was a different thing altogether. That's pretty much all you need to understand this story. 2009 was a very difficult year for both Shannon and I. We got married in 2008, and so at this point, we were married for about five months, going into 2009. And as anyone who's been married for about five months can go, a very unfortunate thing happens at about five months of marriage. And that is, is that suddenly, without your meaning to, the person that you married stops being an angel that is sent from God on high, that is perfect in every way, and they have the audacity to become a person. They have an audacity to, like, you know, in my case, not remember to wash the milk carton before I put it in recycling, or just not watch my tone of voice, or... And it's a tough part that anybody that is married goes through, that shift from the honeymoon stage to the just regular living with another human being with all their flaws and foibles, and I have many. But what made 2009 wasn't so much that, as much as the fact that we both worked in jobs that we just detested. And so, many of us have worked in jobs that we don't like. You go out eight hours a day, miserable. And you come home right at that point where you get into arguments for stupid reasons about things because you're in that, that phase where you're negotiating what it is to live together as a married couple. So it's just nothing but misery and then you bring that home and you're having to learn how to deal with that with somebody else. And so it's just constant, constant. And as always happens, eventually something needed to give. And what that was in this situation was we were going out to Providence for one of our friend's graduations. And while we were there, then we made a decision Shannon was going to go back to seminary because that was part of the plan. She was going to go to do her master's uh, either at U of M or Prov U of M. Didn't get back to us for whatever reason. Like, not even a failure, like, not even a you're not accepted. And just didn't reply to an email one day. Still puzzled about that to this day. They had the same login portal now that they did, like, 12 years ago. So I'm thinking maybe there's just something, whatever. But... Whatever the case is, that was the decision that was made. She was going to go back to seminary. And so she quit her job. And before she quit, then we did the thing that you always have to remember to do before somebody is done their job. And that is make sure to use up all of their medical benefits. That is important. And so what that took the form with me was is that I was told by my dentist 10 years before that I needed to get some teeth out. And unfortunately, in those 10 years, some turned into a lot. I got eight teeth out all in one day. And you would think that that was a bad thing, except for 
and it very much so was in one way, uh, I had two weeks to recover, two weeks to just sit there and to think. And at the end of that two weeks, what I found for myself was I had a brilliant idea. I was going to quit my job too, we were gonna move out to Prov, and I was going to start my own business. And here is where I ask you all to tell me what year I said this was in. Now, can anybody tell me why it was a preposterously stupid idea to try to start my own business in 2009? It was a whole financial crisis the year before, and I'm trained as an accountant. And, well, an accounting tech, so my plan is I was going to start a bookkeeping business. And once we got out there, I'd quit our job, we were living in the new place, that was when I got all the advertisements ready, that was when I put out things in like the local papers and we ran out posters all across for five towns. And uh, they were, I wanna say good, I don't think there were spelling errors on them anyway. Uh, I think that's an important thing to note because I'm not always the best at that. But this is where the landline comes in. We got an answering machine and that's important to my memory of this because I remembered every day coming home looking at that machine and there was a zero no messages four months we tried at that and didn't get a single client then student loans were late <laughs> now student loans are their own kind of thing and they definitely are not always prompt and in our situation we figured that when they said they would be a couple late we took them at their word so we figured why not put the cost for tuition on a credit card and so that's what we did because it was only going to be a couple of weeks so three and a half months and so then we had already had ten thousand dollars on our credit card I was trying to start a business that wasn't going anywhere we put all of our living expenses on to that as well and then when the student loans finally came in those needed to go towards making sure that we could pay rent and have food. And so, and then after all of this, that is when first my uncle died and then my grandfather died two months later. 2009 was not a good year. 2009 was a very bad year. But I'm not the only person for whom, you know, there's that hard time in work, right? I'm not the only person who decides to quit their job and start a business because that's going to solve all the problems. I'm not the only person who ran Planet Business Fail. I'm not the only person who has had to take out massive amounts of credit card debt. I'm not the only person who had two close family members die two months apart. These are things that happen to people living all the time, right? Like, these are things that happen to many of us. There are things that happen to many people out there that don't know Jesus one way or the other. But the difference is, is that I, being a Christian, every new thing that was 
on that list of suddenly, why is God doing this to me? Drift, drift, drift for a whole year. 2009 was the closest I think I've ever come to losing my faith. And I think I honestly would have if it wasn't for the fact that I was fortunate enough to have my own 40 days of they were using fasting in a very quote-unquote kind of way. My own 40 days of going close to God. And what those took the form of is first off, some of our friends that were going to the church that we were going to at that point, they lost a singer. They needed a new singer on their worship team. Shannon, I think, told them that I was a singer and or at least had some ability to do that. And I, I'm raised as such that if a friend needs help, you help them, right? Like there is no saying no to that. And that caused us to get rather involved in church and draw closer there. And then the next thing is, is that, you know, you're in that point with your marriage where you're just kind of having to learn with living with an actual person and there's bickering, that means we need to spend time growing closer as a couple. That's important. And for some reason, how that took the form with us when we were living at Prov is I decided that I would audit one of the courses that she was in, in which case Hebrews, oh yeah, it was Hebrew, yeah, Hebrew 1. Weird choice. Uh, I had no point, knew at this point that I was going to go on and get a degree later, but yeah, what that did is it put me into direct contact with a whole pile of seminarians that, one of the most insufferable things about seminarians is that if you have questions about your faith, they will answer them. They sure will. But perhaps the most important thing was Shannon herself as she would come back from classes and just just excited hard not to be excited then so I had my my 40 days with the Lord you might say And that gave me what I needed that every time something new was thrown on top, tape on. Does that somehow mean that 2009 wasn't a terrible year for us? Dear mine, no, it was terrible. But at least there was that growing closer to the Lord. At least there was that honing that happened. At least there was that, we call it testing, but it is tempering, is it not? I came out of that year more in tune with what it is that I was supposed to be doing with my ministry than I went into it with. I mean, I ended up going to seminary that next fall. 
Wait, not even. January. It started in January 2010. I like the story of the temptation. I like the story of the temptation because in it, we're shown something about how to get through the temptations in life, how to get through the testings. And how that is, is not by pulling away from the Lord, not by pulling away and just being like, why are you doing this? But instead, by drawing nearer, instead by building that relationship, getting more involved, it might feel like that is the absolute last thing you want to do in those situations. But from experience, I can tell you, if that is what you do, you will, in the end, come out more keenly aware of what your ministry should look like than when you went in. There is testing, but it is tempering. That is true. And you can see that in the passage of the temptation. He begins his ministry. He is led into that tempting time. But he spends time with his God and he comes closer and closer and he can answer the devil point for point. And then when he is done, he starts a ministry that changes the world. And we can do that too. And so I ask you, are you going through a time of testing in your life now? I suspect you are, whether it is intense or not, because you're alive. That's a part of being alive. And here is my pastoral advice for you. Don't pull away. Don't pull away from God. Don't pull away from the church. Don't go it alone. Because if instead you spend those proverbial 40 days, if instead you draw close on purpose, if instead you come before your God in prayer, even if it is just to ask why, there will come a day when the clouds will clear. When that day comes, the light shines down on you. You will know more about what it is that you are supposed to live as in ministry to our God than you ever did before. Because of that, you will Know the face of our Lord as you never did before as well. Amen. Um, we'll ask you to stand with us to sing the doxology. The first time we will sing without the amen, and then we'll let Pastor Russell come up and say the benediction. We'll sing it one more time with the amen.
don't forget, tonight, 7 p.m., you're going to want to be here. All right, for our benediction, we turn to the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his face and give you his peace. Go now. Draw nearer to this God. You'll be happy you did. Thank you.